everybody. Randy Beamer here with San Antonio's Voice, the podcast. Thanks for listening. We get to talk to all kinds of people about all kinds of stuff all over the area. And the top of mind issues right now in San Antonio, the pandemic, COVID, vaccine, and also the effects of that winter freeze, the blackout, and costs that we might might have to bear because of those um, energy prices that just skyrocketed uh, during the blackouts. Joining us is Sal Del Cid as well, our assignment, Senator Sal. Yeah, Randy, there's definitely concern those costs might get passed down to ratepayers, and that was something that the mayor really harped on in this interview with you. Uh, you guys sat down for a one-on-one, and he, he got into some details about what happened, including the fact, as he says, that ERCOT didn't give the city any warning about the quote-unquote rolling blackouts. So that's all included in this podcast, as well as some information about his future. Uh, Just a note here, though, uh, you recorded the interview with the mayor on Monday, and the very next day, on Tuesday, Governor Greg Abbott announced that Texas was going to open up at 100% and the mask mandate was going away. So that, his reaction anyway, isn't included in this podcast, though he does have some thoughts and feelings that he expressed to you about mask in this interview. Right. And it, it, I think it's almost like he saw it coming. He, you know, the governor had talked about rescinding the mask mandate, flirted with it. The mayor was warning against it in this interview and then reacted the same way you'd expect. They're not happy uh, with that. One of the most fascinating things I thought in this interview is a story I hadn't heard as to why the mayor came so close to being a sports media uh, worker that he was offered a job and might have wound up in the Northeast on a totally different career path if it wasn't for one thing. And you'll find out about that at the very end of the interview. That's a tease. I guess we call that a tease, Sal. Yeah. So anyway, I hope you like the interview. I hope you enjoy it and share it. And again, thanks for listening. This is San Antonio's Voice, the podcast with San Antonio's Mayor Ron Nuremberg. Thank you for doing this. Appreciate it. I know you're very busy. Um, where are you right now in figuring out what happened during the freeze and the blackouts and the city's response and the county's response? Well, there are multiple probes uh, that are going on that will happen uh, from the state side, which we know uh, we have now witnessed the most outrageous market failure of the Texas energy grid and management. Uh, to also our local response, what we, how we were prepared, communication and response. So we're going to do a deep dive into all of this to make sure that we're in a better situation next time uh, these kinds of conditions come to us. So we're in the middle of that process right now. We've already formed a, a panel led by uh, Reed Williams, who is uh, one of the most knowledgeable people in our community with regard to these utilities. Uh, and uh, we're going to go make sure that um, their findings are reported publicly. And not to pass the buck, but how much of this do you think trickled down from the state and from ERCOT? Because it was overnight, one night, that you got the word about power failures. Yeah, and that was the triggering event, is that ERCOT went from uh, normal uh, readiness to the highest criticality on the grid, literally in the middle of the night without warning. And what that did was trigger outages across the state of Texas. Uh, had we been able to you know, manage the system on our own without the requirement to send uh, some of our load up to the rest of the state, we would have been able to keep the lights on here. 
uh, this was, at the end of the day, uh, the most massive uh, failure of the en energy management in Texas that we've ever seen. And unfortunately, it was also preventable. Uh, back in 2011, after the uh, blackouts that occurred then with the freeze that happened, there were promises made, there were reports released about the importance of weatherization of the entire Texas energy grid. Um, all those things that were reported back then could have prevented what we saw today. And unfortunately, the city of San Antonio and CPS Energy have no regulatory authority over the PUC. And who do you blame for that? And we'll get down to the city and county's response in a minute, but at the state level, was it the legislature? Was it officials at ERCOT? Some of both? Ultimately, it's the legislature. Yeah, ultimately, it is the regulatory authority of the state, which resides within the Public Utility Commission, as well as the legislature and the governor. And so those are the parties that need to, again, uh, circle the wagons and make sure that the promises that were made 10 years ago uh, to weatherize the grid and ensure that consumers would be protected are finally kept this time. Um, I appreciate that there is an investigation into ERCOT and the PUC's role in this, but we have to make sure that the things that were already reported on 10 years ago are addressed once and for all. Do you think the legislature and the governor are throwing some of the officials under the bus because they're supposed to see, oversee ERCOT and the other agencies? Um, you know, that remains to be seen. Uh, what we want is action. We also want consumer protection. I mean, the first, the first question that lawmakers should be asking themselves is who got rich while Texas suffered? Um, and, you know, at the, at the expense of uh, the management of the grid, we saw hundreds of thousands of people in our own community and millions of people across the state go without power, freezing to death, literally in their homes, as uh, some suppliers and producers of the energy that we require across the state were getting off scot-free. And so that needs to be addressed, and, and that is the challenge of the legislature, that is the challenge of the Public Utility Commission, and ultimately that is the expectation of every, every single resident of this state. How about the bills and the difference between, say, San Antonio, the CPS, versus some of the deregulated uh, private markets across the state? We've already seen over in East Texas a $16,000 bill, because depending on how you structure your payments, they can take it directly out of your account. How different is that from CPS? And what are our bills going to be compared to some of those private deregulated? Again, we're going to fight uh, for our ratepayers. We're going to fight for uh, the citizens of our community uh, to ensure that the, the costs of this disaster aren't also borne on the people who suffered through it. And that's one of the, the challenges of the system of energy that has been set up in our state by the legislature who deregulated years ago, is that you do have companies that are uh, on the market, competing in the market, in the same system of energy grid management that we're in, that are uh, essentially charging pass-through fees, uh, variable rates for the energy that their consumers are getting. And sometimes uh, those rates are very low, and other times they're seeing these obscene bills. Uh, in CPS Energy, which is owned by our community, our stakeholders are the public, we have fixed rates. And in order for those rates to change, it has to have the board of CPS and the city council's approval. 
But what we want to make sure is that we are also not letting those folks who while were getting rich while Texas suffered to get away with this. Uh, we've got to have some reasonable um, uh, expectations that our citizens are going to come first and that they're not going to be burdened with the cost of repairing what has gone wrong. But that money would have to come from the legislature, the legislature, the top leadership of the state hasn't liked, you know, they've been very critical of local governments and you've had your issues with uh, Ken Paxton and the governor in terms of the pandemic. How willing do you think they'll be to send money to places like San Antonio for the bills that we got for what happened at the state? Well, I think when, when the citizens of Texas uh, see the price gouging that happened uh, on the market while all of the state was going dark, they should be justifiably outraged by that. And it will take uh, intervention, it will take um, some leadership for, on the part of every elected official and the folks who were involved in this mess uh, to make this right. Uh, but what we are going to do here in the city of San Antonio is fight for our ratepayers, fight for our public, and make sure that we exhaust every means necessary, including legal ones, to defend our ratepayers. Do you think it'll take months, if not years, of lawsuits against some of the energy companies, as well as persuading the legislature that they should chip in, maybe from the rainy day fund? You know, I, I, it remains to be seen, Randy. Uh, I think you know, we are in a position right now where we can expect that people should do the right thing, uh, but if they don't, uh, there are other uh, measures that we'll have to take. Some of those will require the legislature. Others, again, will exhaust legal means if necessary to defend our, our, our public. Uh, but the, the bottom line is Texas has seen the worst energy disaster uh, in our history. Uh, we also don't want to see what will become the most massive redistribution of wealth from citizens to uh, uh, very few producers um, and uh, suppliers that we've ever seen. We want to prevent that. And so let's have folks uh, do the right thing. Otherwise, we'll take measures uh, necessary. And now back to the local response to this. What did people here expect? What had you heard about what was going to happen days out or when we first heard of this? Our meteorologist was saying this is a, a life-threatening event several days out because of those lower temperatures, the, right. the freeze that they expected over several days. Yeah, so what we were doing here locally is to prepare for uh, a severe winter storm. And how we know that locally was we have to get folks off the street. So we were sending outreach teams to make sure that we were going into encampments and try to get people into shelter, which we did have. We even had hotel rooms available. The other things that we were doing is pretty typical during a, a winter event like this, we would see ice. And so we were preparing and de-icing roadways and making sure that we're getting emergency alert out to folks not to get on the highways into the roadways that would likely be impassable at some point. Uh, and then finally, we were also prepping for um, crews to be out to have to repair infrastructure. Uh, typically, in a winter event like this, we see ice accumulating on branches and things like that, and they end up cutting power lines as they, they fall to the ground. So we were prepared for those kinds of local outages. Uh, at no time was ERCOT or anyone from the state warning us that this was being an inevitability that we're going to see rolling blackouts or, or what they called rolling blackouts. 
So that is, uh, that is part of what needs to be addressed in terms of the communication from the state regulators to the local communities. But in terms of local action, we also want to examine the preparations that we did uh, to get ready for this winter event. Did you ever think that the way the circuits are structured here, that they would have to black out some of the saws plants, some of the, the water pumping stations that cause some of the problems? Uh, no, and, and that is one thing that needs to be addressed in the after action immediately. Uh, I, I find that unbelievable that we could have, uh, that we had pumping stations that keep the water flowing in uh, locations of our, of our community that weren't on quote unquote critical circuits uh, so that we could keep those running. Also that those pumping stations didn't have backup power. So those are some of the findings I hope will come out of this investigatory process, but those things need to be addressed immediately. How about text alerts? <clears throat> people are critical that the city, the county didn't have what's in place as text alerts to let people know about the problems and where they could go, the warming centers and that kind of thing. You know, again, that's one of the things that we're going to examine. The, the, the last text alert that went out prior to the weather arriving was on Sunday and we were warning people to stay off the roads. Uh, the challenge with regard to um, giving information on text alert uh, about the power or the water outages is that we weren't getting any reliable information, timely information to share. So uh, that's also a communication issue. We've got to make sure that those channels are getting to us reliably at, on, a, on a timely basis. Uh, but absolutely, text alerts would have been very helpful. Uh, if not life-saving uh, in these kinds of situations. Was the Emergency Operations Center activated and are you normally in contact with SAWS as well as CPS and this kind of thing? Yeah, so the Emergency Operations Center was activated throughout the weekend and again we were preparing for uh, what we know, we know as a severe winter event with icing and, and transportation issues. But I was meeting uh, every day uh, into the, the weekend and then throughout the event with the folks that are part of the Emergency Operations Center, uh, SAWS, CPS, TxDOT, uh, Public Works, Department of Human Services, all coordinating our activities. Again, if we had had any information about the inevitability of rolling blackouts, the tenor and the charge of that, uh, those conversations would have changed. You've heard from people who believe that uh, the richer parts of town didn't have to go through blackouts and some of the other parts of town did. And I think that's been shown to be not the case. Uh, the, the rotating blackouts, again, they were anything but rotating. These were blackouts. Uh, need to be examined where they happened, why they happened, for the duration that they did. Um, uh, and we want to learn that in the probe. We want to understand how that, those decisions were made because they, they need to be changed. They need to be rectified. But in terms of where those outages occurred, we had um, seemingly random, other than the critical circuits that were out. Um, uh, we know that, for instance, in the water outages, the far north side was out without water uh, service for the longest duration in terms of power outages. Some of, uh, some of the communities around the, the, the hospitals stayed on because they were in, on critical circuits, while others in affluent and non-affluent areas were completely without. How much is this going to cost the city and the county, and then how are you going to pay for it? 
So we have been, uh, I appealed to the White House immediately to get FEMA disaster assistance. Uh, thankfully, that was approved. So we are going through our da damage assessments right now. All that information will go to uh, the Federal Emergency Management Agency uh, for uh, reimbursement. So we're going to go through those assessments. Uh, we are going through those assessments right now to, to assess the damage. Those things that are not coverable by insurance claims are going to be FEMA reimbursable, uh, we hope, and that's the way the rules are set up. In the past, some people have pushed for uh, privatization or the option of that in power in San Antonio instead of CPS. What do you think this will do to that push if there's any push residually? Like, oh, they're doing it in Dallas. Oh, they're doing it in other parts of the state. Is that, is that dead now in San Antonio, given what happened? Well, I, 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 I'll, you can see in those areas that had a completely deregulated market for energy, those customers are the ones that are getting hit by these astronomical bills because, again, all those costs are being put onto the customer. What I will say is that the deregulation contributed to this mess. Um, we need smart, effective regulation to require things like weatherization. We need smart, effective regulation to keep people from being price gouged as they have and that we're starting to see those bills come due. We need effective excuse me, we need effective regulation to protect customers. And that's what was unwound in the last round of deregulation, uh, which fortunately for customers in Austin and San Antonio and others that have publicly owned citizen-owned utilities will be able to intervene on behalf of our customers. How about, how long do you think it'll take CPS Energy to uh, rewire the circuits so that some of these pumping stations and others don't have this kind of problem? Because we could have this kind of problem in the summer if the uh, heat exceeds the power grid that the state can provide. Yeah, and, and, and part of the, the challenge with weatherization is that we, the Texas Energy Grid is built for heat. It's not built for, for, wet, for cold weather, either, even though 10 years ago they said they need to do both. Uh, so what we don't generally see in the summer with regard to these events, uh, even though there's peak usage, you see most of that generation staying online. Nothing, was, nothing really gets tripped or shut off in the, in the kind of volume that we saw in this winter event. But with regard to making sure that circuits also represent critical functions like uh, our pumping stations, uh, that, is, uh, that will be assessed. In my, uh, in my um, position, though, I want to make sure that happens immediately. Uh, but we'll get the, the, we, we will get a better assessment of what needs to be done over the next couple of months. It'll take a while to get that assessment, but what do you, as of what you know so far, what do you think the biggest shortfalls were of the city? What makes you most angry? And how much, you know, people have said, how much responsibility should the mayor take? Yeah. Uh, I think it was information and communication. Um, you know, I think coordinating that kind of information flow between the utilities and with the city and the public is essential. Uh, had we known, for instance, that uh, some circuits, uh, or, or had we known that some essential functions were not part of critical circuits that could be shut off, hopefully uh, that would have changed the decision making uh, for, for some of that. But in terms of the communication, uh, we've got to make sure that our, our citizens have information they need up to date, even if it's not good information. Um, and, and, and again, 
uh, I cannot receive uh, information uh, late. Uh, otherwise, it, it, it does not help to inform citizens with the, with the uh, information they need to protect themselves and their families. I've heard this question, are heads going to roll because of this? You know, I think that's a premature question. I think what people want is accountability. What they want are answers to how we got here. And I think during this entire uh, process of uh, addressing and probing what happened, we'll, we'll understand what we need to do. And now in terms of the response that you're helping out with, uh, this, you and the city, in terms of, say, the pipe, uh, you're helping with a pipe fund. Uh, I don't know what the name of that is, but also with lunches and different things like that. But some of it's from the city and some of it you're encouraging donations for. Uh, what would you tell people out there that they can do right now? Well, uh, I'll, I'll tell you, it's, it's been uh, an incredibly tough year for our entire city and for communities across the country. There's no doubt about that. But in times of crisis, uh, you know this, Randy, you've been here for a long time, um, we see the very best of San Antonio come out. And that's what we're seeing right now is neighbors helping neighbors. Uh, I think the single best thing that people can do right now is check on their neighbors. You know, give them a call, knock on their door, ask how they're doing. You know, a lot of people have been through trauma um, and, and a lot of people are, are feeling alone. Check on them, make sure they're okay. Uh, if you have uh, means, are able to, uh, spend a couple hours helping with our, our food bank distributions. Uh, as you know, 60,000 families in San Antonio depended on the food bank prior to the pandemic. We've now doubled that. And certainly in these last uh, week or so, it's been even more important that we get those uh, services out. Uh, you mentioned the Community Pipe Repair Fund. We are also working to repair infrastructure in people's homes. We've had great support from our corporate and philanthropic community, the San Antonio Area Foundation, the San Antonio Spurs, uh, Wells Fargo, Toyota, have all donated, donated generously to that. If you're able to contribute, um, please do. You can go to saws.org slash CPR. Um, and, and, you know, again, there are countless ways on a daily basis in normal times for San Antonians to give back and help each other out. But certainly those are in abundance right now uh, in the aftermath of this event. How about where we are right now in terms of the pandemic and the response to that? Back in May, I think I was interviewing you about that and you were optimistic, although you had just gotten a letter from the Attorney General at that point about our response supposedly being different than the state. Where are we right now in terms of the roller coaster that we've been on? Well, where are we right now is that we have just endured what a lot of the country has, which is just an incredibly uh, difficult and deadly surge of the virus in the fall. Uh, thankfully, we are seeing our numbers decline. Hospital numbers are way down. Our positivity rate is the lowest in the, of major cities in the state. And so we're, we're getting containment again. Uh, operationally, we are trying to get the vaccines out as quickly as we can, administered and we are calling on our state and federal leaders to give us more vaccine because they are not giving us the proportion that we need. Um, but in terms of what the average uh, resident, average family can do, uh, it's incredibly important right now to continue to protect yourself. Uh, we are grateful that there's immunity growing, immunity is building because of vaccinations and other reasons for uh, in our community, but we cannot let our guard down now um, because the variants are still transmitting. Uh, 
And it is in this period of still trying to get more vaccines that we can see the numbers flip around again and we can have a real problem on our hands. So please continue to mask up, practice social distancing, proper hygiene, be mindful of the public health measures that have, have fortunately uh, spared many lives in our community already. While you mentioned that, you know, last week the governor has at least flirted with the idea of ending the statewide mask order, which he rejected in San Antonio last May until July. What do you tell the governor and the rest of the state about a mask order like that? Uh, to remove it now would be a big mistake. Uh, we, uh, we know that uh, the mask wearing has been one of the easiest and most effective ways that we've been able to slow down the spread of the virus. Uh, and we also know that uh, the, uh, there is not enough immunity in our, in our city, in our nation right now to warrant peeling back public health measures that we know work. And one of the challenges with that is, is helping people to realize that even though you're vaccinated and will likely uh, escape any severe illness had you, uh, of the coronavirus, you could end up still picking it up and carrying it asymptomatically and transferring it to somebody else. So it's critically important on behalf of people who aren't yet vaccinated that we keep wearing our masks and practicing the public health protocols that we've known now for a year. We're almost there, Randy. Every, every um, model that I've seen now is showing that we can reach um, herd immunity by the third quarter of this year. That's summertime. And if, so we are appealing to folks not to, not to skip a step, just hang out for a little bit longer with these public health measures. Let's get more people vaccinated. And by summertime, midsummer, perhaps, uh, we're going to reach a level where I think the public health folks are going to tell us, okay, now we can start easing up a bit. Just a couple more topics here. The legislature is in session right now. Um, I'm sure you'd hope for help with the pandemic. Now we have the freeze. Um, they are looking at things like taking away lobbying power from cities. What do you expect to come from the legislature this year? What are you pushing for? You know, the, the most important thing right now in front of the legislature is they protect the public uh, that has just endured this massive crisis and the failure of the, of the energy grid uh, in Texas. And they don't, they don't saddle the public with the costs of that. That's the most important thing right now. And, and in addition to that, making sure that we continue uh, the investments in public health uh, the, the, the third and, and probably the most long-term priority right now for us is protect public education. Uh, there is always a temptation uh, when budgets are tight in Austin to peel back funding from public education. Now would be the worst time to do that. So, you know, in terms of our priorities for the state, uh, these are all have local impacts. We want them to protect taxpayers from the cost of this disaster. We want them to make sure that they finish the job on the pandemic, and we want to make sure that they protect public education. How about the rainy day fund? Should they use that? And if they should, what should they use it for? Um, you know, obviously the, the rainy day fund is uh, derived from oil and gas uh, revenues. Uh, if that needs to be tapped into uh, to protect ratepayers, um, I think that that uh, is, is a possibility that, that we should be open to. 
Uh, but ultimately, we want to make sure that this isn't saddled, th these costs aren't, aren't saddled onto the, the, rate, uh, onto the public. So uh, there is a, a huge need for relief, pandemic relief. We hope they uh, support small businesses and helping people um, you know, who have been seeing their small businesses uh, really suffer with some grant funds, et cetera. Uh, that would probably be an appropriate use as well in some degree. Uh, but yes, that, that rainy day fund is likely going to be a source of relief at some point during the legislature. You got another letter from the Attorney General, this one about undocumented immigrants last year and the police chief. What's your response to that and, and how seriously do you take that? That, you know, the police chief and yourself uh, have been, I don't want to, I don't know what the word is, but targeted. You know, I, I think that the, the Attorney General, uh, Mr. Paxton, has, has shown that he wants to continue to pursue what is a frivolous lawsuit. This is more political theater. That's all I'm going to say about that. Okay. And how about the uh, Congress? Uh, the Trump White House Congress Republican leadership might have been less friendly or was considered it was going to be less friendly to cities and states. Do you hope for more help because there is a split in the Senate and the Democratic House and presidency? You know, I, I always believe that a balance of power between the parties um, is good for public debate and for the protection of the public interest, always. And so to see more balance uh, come into our legislature is a good thing. There still is one party control of the state. Uh, but with regard to uh, the, you know, seemingly um, the vitriol that's been directed to cities, it's paradoxical, uh, has always been, because we all represent the same constituents. And when they, uh, you know, illogically punish cities from, you know, trying to deliver public services, it only hurts the folks that put them into office. So hopefully, in the light of this crisis, there will be a little bit more uh, collaboration uh, with cities who have been, un you know, saddled with getting our communities through the last 12 months and certainly over the last week, and we can all work together to, to lift up our, our, our residents who have been suffering so much for the last year. Before I get to a couple of questions about the future, I've heard this from people. Well, the mayor probably hasn't, and his family hadn't, didn't suffer through the, the freeze or the pandemic. How, is, how have those things affected you and your family? Well, as far as the freeze, I was out of power for uh, about three days. Uh, we also had uh, water disruption as well. Uh, so that was, that was challenging, uh, but you know, no different than hundreds of thousands of people in our community were dealing with. Um, you know, the, the, the pandemic has hit close to home for me as well. I've had family members uh, suffer from it. Thankfully, uh, praise God, we hadn't lost anyone. Um, but this has been challenging. I mean, the, the, the truth of the matter is it is a, um, it is a blessing to be um, given responsibility to lead this, lead this city uh, through a challenging time. And you know, the, the, the truth is anyone who suffers in the city is like a family member uh, suffering. And so, uh, you know, it, it, it's been tough to see uh, such challenge and, and burden in our community over the last year, but that's what charges us every day uh, to keep working harder and get our, our communities through but it. But your son, just going back to school, how's it hit your family and your wife and son? 
you know, my, my son um, knows what I do and, and uh, hears the words that I, I say to the rest of the public and understands the significance of what we've endured in terms of COVID. And, and there is high anxiety among kids as well about what this pandemic is and, and, and the, the toll it's taken on our communities. And so, you know, it's, it's tough. I, I have to talk to him as well about, you know, if we, if we do these things, we wear a mask and maintain our distance and, you know, proper hygiene, all that, we, we can be safe. We can get through it. It doesn't guarantee 100% all the time, but we can get through this and, and you'll be okay. So I've had to do that reassuring as well for my own family. But You're in the middle or at least at the beginning of a re-election campaign. Is it going to be as tough for you as last time? And what are the issues you think going to be in this? You know, so number one, uh, this campaign is about bringing our city together and helping people to see the incredible work we do for each other, neighbor to neighbor, when we come together as a city. Uh, during a very challenging time uh, in our city's history, maybe the most challenging in a generation, uh, we've come together, we've been able to lift each other up, and we've seen the very best of San Antonio. Uh, that's what I stand for. There's been some really significant, important accomplishments that we've done together as a, as a community, including Alamo Promise and the workforce program, um, and you know the incredible investments that we've been making to, to bring high-paying jobs here. Uh, but mo most importantly, every member of our community has been through an incredibly challenging year, uh, and we have seen the very best of our city come through. Uh, we need uh, committed leadership, and that's what I'll bring to the mayor's office. How much longer do you want to be mayor, and then what, what do you want to do after that? Because in the past, there have been some mayors of San Antonio that have gone on to different things. Well, you know me, Randy. I'm not built like that. Um, you know, my dream job at one point um, when I was growing up, I think when we met, was to be a, a, a baseball beat writer. But um, it's I've been changed the, a little. <laughs> it's been in the honor and a privilege of my life to serve uh, as a city councilman. Now as mayor, I was motivated to do this because I wanted to leave the city a better place for my son. Becoming a father changed the direction that I took in my life, and um, that's my motivation. I, you know, I'm not I'm not built as a politician that's looking for other jobs. I want to do the best I can for my city. We have a long-term agenda. I'm going to spend as long as, I, as the voters will have me completing that agenda, but it's going to outlast me in terms of the work that we have to do to lift this economy up, to promote public health, to make sure that we have a better city. I'm going to spend eight years here, if God willing, if voters will have me. Um, what, yeah, happens yeah. <laughs> what happens after that, I, don't, I really don't know. I mean, I, I love uh, public service. I love public policy. If, if um, at the end of my service here, there's something else for me, I might take a look. But right now, my total focus and dedication is on this city, and, and my heart is in it, and, um, and my life is as well. A couple last quick questions. I keep asking those. I mean, you said, I'm not built for that. You're a bodybuilder. You, how do you, what I do said you, I wasn't built like that. Oh, okay. <laughs> what, are you, uh, what are you doing to keep, uh, to keep healthy during all this? You're working a lot of hours. Um, everybody has different ways of getting through the stress. And you, do you run? Do you work out? What do you do? Uh, I, I lift weights. I still do that. Um, you know, and, and uh, when the pandemic began, I didn't want to inadvertently take any, any kind of infection to someplace else. So I've been in my, my garage now. I pulled all the, 
the stuff that I had out of the out of the shed, and I set it up and got the rust off, and and I've been working out. Don't my go to a gym. You went to a gym before, and I did, yeah. And uh, you know, a place where there's usually a lot of seniors there, so I didn't want to, you know, inadvertently expose someone to um, anything I might come so in because I'm in contact with with a folks. bunch of seniors there. Look better than a bunch of seniors <laughs> when you work out. Not all of them, you know. Ah. Uh, but no, I've been my 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 sanctuary um, at home is in my garage with with the equipment. I got to do that. Do you ever uh, regret that you didn't go into sports beat writing? You know, at one point, I got an opportunity to work for Steve Sable, and I chose not to do that because I preferred to, rather than go to New Jersey and work for Steve Sable, you know, NFL Films, I said, I'm gonna go uh, move uh, during the summer. I was in grad school in Philadelphia. I'm gonna move to San Antonio because I'd just fallen in love with this girl named Erica and I was gonna follow her because she had just gotten a job in San Antonio. Uh, and so I, for, I, I decided not to go work at NFL Films, instead follow this, this girl. <laughs> Uh, and? And I don't regret that. It was the best choice I ever made in my life, and everything's changed since then. Good answer for a husband. Thank you. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it.